Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast with me, Mark Decano, in which I try to befuddle the Oxford English Dictionary with alternative definitions of the word comedy by asking those in the know what comedy means to them, and maybe come up with a more up-to-date definition of the word comedy, but probably not. I love talking to people in comedy about comedy. If you'd like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. My guest this episode is a journalist, podcaster, promoter and comedian and founder of Indie Amnesty. She's been tour support for Jack Whitehall and Frankie Boyle, who described her as one of the most exciting new acts on the circuit. It's stand-up comedian Alexandra Haddo. Hi, Mark. Hi, yeah. Oh, hang on. <laughs> if you're ready and you're happy. Ready. Let's ask you first and foremost, was comedy a big thing in the family when you were young? Yeah, massive thing. Um, my dad was a massive Billy Connolly fan. My dad's Scottish. Yeah. And we always used to watch, you know, all his videos. I'm showing my age now. Um, <laughs> yeah, all his, all his videos, always watching sort of comedy panel shows. Uh, yeah. And then, we, you know, we stumbled across Bill Bailey part troll one night and Dylan Moran monster. And yep. it was, you know, just like massive fans, always quoting sitcoms, always <laughs> doing that. Yeah, like. I remember being broken up with by my first boyfriend when I was 15 and I went in and like I was, you know, crying and stuff in the living room. And my uh, and I said to my dad, can we watch some Billy Connolly? So, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was an early an early coping mechanism. Yeah, like a breakup cure. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> so were these the sort of people, um, Bill Bailey, Billy Connolly, were they inspirations and influences on you when you decided you wanted to be a comedian? Do you know what's weird? I properly, I, I didn't really start calling myself a comedian, honestly, until last year. And I don't mean, I do, as in, I used to say I do comedy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. And then it's only when you realise, oh, this is actually my main source of income now that you're, that you kind of finally say, oh, I'm a comedian. Whereas some people, they seem to do like one gig and they've got like an Instagram that's like Alex Haddo comedy and stuff like that. And it's like, just <laughs> hedge your bets. Like this is a long run. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. Like, do what you want. Do do your own, follow your own path. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, weirdly, I'd say, like, they're influences, but not directly, because the style of comedy that I love, the kind of slightly off the wall, like Dylan Moran, David O'Doherty, mm. you know, silliness, I don't, I don't really, I wish I could be that type of comedian, but I don't, and I am more, like, in conversation, but on stage, it's not really who I am. I'm quite, I'm just quite myself on stage. Yeah. which is you know maybe something I should work on but no um, <laughs> yeah it's it's more like I'm in awe of them but I don't really take it on as an influence weirdly right yeah you said there about being yourself on stage but obviously also that it's it's not the person <laughs> that you are when you're off stage so how much of it is yourself and how much is it uh, like a, an extension of yourself or a character that you play I I I am quite much because I MC a lot as well I am. Yes. That's pretty much me. Um, I mean, I, it's heightened, obviously, and it's it's slightly exaggerated, but yeah. it is how I would talk, really. Um, and one of the sort of things that I need to, um, you know, that I'm trying to do is is MC less and do more sets because I don't want to be pigeonholed as one or the other. Um, yeah. And but I, I love emceeing and stuff, but you just I'm just I'm trying to work on. I mean, because I'm working up to a show, uh, I'm trying mm. to work on more sets. But I mean, I am. 
I, yeah, I am almost. I mean, there's a bit in my new show. It's quite a, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge because I am like I'm like a low status comedian. I'm like quite self deprecating stuff like that. But there's certain elements of the new show without trying to give anything away that like the subject matter <laughs> that I'm talking about. Mm. I almost sort of do like a faux smugness, which isn't which isn't really me, but hopefully it sort of comes off within the context of the show. Right. That sounds like I'm really cryptic, but <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we'll talk more about your show. I mean, you said about you didn't really see yourself as a comedian. So, I mean, I know that you have other, many other strings to your boat, but you've been a comedian for a while now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's a strange one because I didn't I didn't really get into it thinking this was ever going to be my job right. um, or my life. I just thought this will be a nice sort of side project. Um, I've always loved comedy. You know, hmm. I got tricked into doing it the first time. <laughs> um and you know it wasn't like a big plan really yeah I just I just sort of kept working at it and you know and then one day you're like oh shit you know <laughs> it's my job <laughs> so tell me about that first time that you were tricked into what was your what was your first gig when was it how did it go it was my first gig was actually um like eight and a half nine years ago I did it um at Comedy Virgins, which a lot of people do as their first ever gig. Yeah. I'd done bits and bobs before at um my friend used to run a great night called Romantic Misadventures. <laughs> and it was great because it was it was a, a nice stepping stone. I think he should bring it back. Seriously, it was amazing. Um it was a nice stepping stone to comedy. It was like mm. people that could do storytelling. It was like, you know, you could tell anything to do with that theme. So some people had really conceptual, weird, um, you know, things in like pie charts and flow charts and it was almost like audience participation. Yeah. And sometimes it was just someone getting up and reading off a piece of paper saying, you know, that, you know, a bad date that they'd had. <laughs> but it was always a really great audience, really nice atmosphere. It was like on a Monday night mm. at a pub in um, Camden, the Black Heart or something, the Black Penny or something. Um, <laughs> and it was great. And it was, and I, I did a few of those and yeah. it was a nice thing to sort of get up on stage and read off a bit of paper because you're getting used to being on stage. Mm. Um and that was really that was a lot of fun. And then yeah, my friend James was is is does doesn't do as much live stuff now, but was a stand up and said we were just sort of writing bits and bobs and stupid things together. Mm. And he was like, oh, you should definitely give stand up a go. Uh, and I was like, absolutely not. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm so in awe of anybody that that does that. I love. I'm a huge fan of stand up and blah 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 blah. Mm. But you know, I'm never going to do it. Um, and he was like, oh, you know, you should write you should write me five minutes of what you would say if you were going to do it. And I said, okay, yeah, fine. That's quite a good exercise sort of thing. So I did that. And then he read it and he was like, oh, this is really good. Uh, thank God, because I've booked you in to do five minute spot at the comedy versions. <laughs> so, um, but weirdly, I think this happens. To, I've spoken to quite a lot of comedians who have done this. I did one and it went quite well. Hmm. And then I didn't do another one for like a year and a half. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's because I did want to do it again the next week. But he wasn't available to be my bringer because when you're starting off, you have to have a bringer. Yeah. And he wasn't available. And I didn't have the, the balls to basically tell anyone else that I'd done it or I didn't want anyone else to see me do it. <laughs> um, and so I was at the pub. I was at like my life. My comedy career could have been two years further on by now, I think, if he'd have been available <laughs> that day. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I was in the pub sort of and waiting for him and they're quite strict there. And so and I just didn't have a bringer. And I didn't have the balls to kind of. Mm. tell anyone else so I didn't do it for like another year yeah year and a half I just thought oh I'll tick that off you know that's nice yeah um and then I went uh I went away for like three or four months by myself mm. 
and uh, went did some traveling. Did the did the sort of classic knobhead uh, midlife <laughs> crisis at twenty eight, um, and uh, yeah, and then sort of came and I realised that how bored I was with my job and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and I just thought, I tell you what, I'll give stand up another go. And I and I remember writing in my diary. Uh, try and do three gigs a month which is now laughable <laughs> <laughs> which i think i've, I've hit that target yeah. <laughs> sometimes in a month yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah i was speaking to another comedian i can't remember who it was but it was um on a previous episode and they said oh it, yes they went away and they came back and met up with another comedian they'd been on a like on a course with and said oh have you been busy yeah i've done about seven or eight gigs this year <laughs> Yeah. They've done like 150 games. Like, yeah. Oh, I thought I was doing well. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so what you didn't mention there that during the first show is anything about like the, the anxiety or the nerves. What was it like setting foot on a stage for the first oh, time? Oh, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I um I've got a massive my only proper phobia, I would say, is is vomiting, is being sick. Um and I was I said to my friend James, I was like, what if I vomit? What if I vomit from nerves? You know, <laughs> truly expecting him to just go. Oh, you know, don't be silly. That's ridiculous. And he just looked at me and he went, I've seen it happen. I was like, James, I do not need this now. Like, lie to me. God's sake. Uh, no, I was absolutely terrified until even now, if I'm nervous about a gig, as soon as I step on the stage and get a laugh, yeah. the, the nerves go. Yeah. And luckily I did get a laugh at that time. So it was fine. Yeah. Are you mindful of your, your style when you're on stage? Do you see yourself as like a storyteller? No, I weirdly... I I properly don't think about that at all. Yeah. Really, I d- I know that I'm not a one liner person or whatever, and I um yeah I would I would describe myself as like storytelling or observational, but I don't really mm. think about the stuff. <laughs> I probably should. Um, <laughs> I don't. I wish that I had more of a shtick sometimes or a niche or whatever, but it's just not me. Right. Um, so I just sort of anything that I mean it it has to have it has to be rooted in some reality for me to get the idea going mm. um so you know sometimes you'll exaggerate or you'll hear a story from your friend and think that's interesting and then sort of doctor it a little bit but it's all I mean it's pretty much all true and it usually is me as well um but you know the odd thing that's happened to my friend or whatever I've been like that's you know that's amazing or that's interesting or whatever yeah and then sort of change it a little bit but yeah it's, it has to, it has to sort of be rooted in truth I've got really really great like admiration for people that sort of have these amazing scenarios and afterwards you're like god that's mental and they'll be like oh yeah you know it didn't really happen like that or whatever or, or it just sometimes I, th- I, do, I do think it's rare but I, th- I think you know sometimes people just, it is complete conjecture and you're like wow that's incredible that you just sort of thought of that yeah so yeah I'm, I'm in awe of those people yeah um you talked about being an MC. yeah I've seen you emceeing many times, and I will tell you what I told Jamie, who you know. Yeah. I've seen an awful lot of MCs and and, and an awful lot of awful MCs, <laughs> but you are very, very good at it. You're one of my favourites, oh, I think. Oh, thank you. And I said that to Jamie as well, and that's true. I can have more than one favourite. Yeah, I, I, no, I was going to say Jamie is amazing, Jamie Allison, yeah. I would always rate people like uh, uh, Rich Wilson's one of my favourites to yes. MCs, so yeah. very relaxed. Uh, Callie Beaton is brilliant at it. Yes. Yourself, Jamie. We'll talk about your solo stuff in a second, but how do you feel about emceeing as opposed to, I mean, you, I know that you said about maybe not being like typecast as an MC. Yeah. How do you feel about the emceeing? Do you do you enjoy it as much as a solo or a spot? Yeah, I do. I really like it. I, I, I am way more relaxed as an MC than I am doing a set because right. I don't really, I don't have to prep anything. 
Um, right. And I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're emceeing a tough gig, mm. I think you've got a tougher, tougher job than the acts. Right. But if you're emceeing a great gig or you've made it great, then I think you've got the best job. Yeah. Because you can make it look like everything is off the cuff. Yeah. If you want to. But, and a lot of it isn't. And a lot of it, I get ideas from, I get like a spark of an idea from emceeing. You know, somebody will say something and I'll sort of come back with something and think, oh, something in that. Yeah. Um, but no, I absolutely love it, especially at the Bill Murray, which is one of my favourite venues to emcee. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love emceeing there because I usually sort of, the first half is all crowd work and then the second half, you know, I sort of really, I do a set at the top really hmm. because it, it just makes them, it lets them know that, you know, they can't get involved in the whole show. Like, you, you know, you have to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to warm you up at the start and then I'm going to sort of say, now listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I absolutely love it. And I don't think, I think there's sometimes a bit of snobbery with people that only MC, but I think it's a, it's a completely different skill and it definitely makes me more relaxed as a comedian when I'm doing a set. Definitely. Right. I think you can sometimes tell, not always, you can sometimes tell when people have never emceed because they freak out if they get a heckle or a, you know, mm. talk back or whatever. Or even if like, yeah, even if someone just sort of says something to them, it's, you know, often it's not really a heckle. It's usually like somebody replying to something or yeah. somebody agreeing, or somebody disagreeing even. Um, and some comedians, if they never emcee, you can sort of be, see them being like, ah, you know, I'm going to have to go off script here sort of thing. Yeah. Which is as an MC, you're not really bothered about because you know all the tricks. Even if they're being an arsehole, you can kind of deal with them. <laughs> How do you handle hecklers in the sense that do you have sort of prepared comebacks in the back of your mind, always cocked and ready? Or do you like sort of weighing into the improv of, of establishing whether you're going to roll with what they have to say or shut them down? Yeah, no, I, I don't have I don't have set. Come I mean, you've got a few things in your arsenal, I think, Yeah, that you're but not consciously. If you know what I mean, there's a few right. attitudes to take, like, because often, I mean, nine and a half times out of 10, the audience are on your side. So yeah. you've got, you've got to remember that. And I think that's what makes people nervous when they first start seeing, you know, like in case somebody says something, it's like the audience don't, don't want to see you lose. Like the audience want to see the prick that's ruining their night lose or whatever. Yeah. But often, you know, there's really subtle ways of just, just making them feel small or even like I always if you turn it flirty especially if it's a guy yeah. like they don't know what to do so you just <laughs> yeah you're gonna be like is there an energy here and then they sort of you know they don't if they say no be like all right I'm just getting it's getting hot or like anything like that you can just, you can sort of pick up. um and yeah it's I don't really have like set comebacks but some like my sort of one that I don't really want to get to, but if you can just, you can always just sort of be pat quite patronising, be like, come on now, shush, shush, shush. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But that's, that's sort of your last resort, but it does make them feel mm. small. Yeah. Um, but no, not set comes back. I don't mind, if people are getting involved in the show a bit, mm. I don't mind that at all. It's when people want the show to be about them. And there's yeah. a, that you, as an MC, like you know the exact line where somebody's, you know, it's great if you're seeing a gig that's maybe a bit quiet and then somebody kind of does get involved because you're like, great, I can riff off this. Yeah. But if it's sort of like I was doing a gig in Colchester last week and like this couple were just desperate to be involved on the front and you're just a bit like, I'm going to have to just shut you down because like it's not about you yeah. and other people are starting to get, you know, get pissed off with you. And it was such a big gig as well that it's difficult doing, it's more difficult as well being a crowd, uh, an MC in a big crowd because you have to kind of keep repeating back what somebody says because they can't hear it. And yeah. it, then it can become a bit disjointed and stuff like that. So, right. yeah, 
Um, I do like it. <laughs> got a lot more plates spinning. Yeah. Well, there's something that you kind of alluded there to um, in talking about being a bit flirty. I mean, as a woman in comedy, do you feel like people are more ready to interrupt or participate, shall we say? Yeah, I do actually think that. And I'm not one for, I've never, like, you know, I've always been very lucky in my comedy career. I've never really had any, I've had a couple of instances where I've been like, oh, that, you know, yeah, that was because I wasn't a woman. But really, like, very, very, very minimal but I do think, especially when you go outside of cities right. um, where people are, maybe don't watch as much comedy uh, or maybe they've, they're not as used to seeing uh, female comedians. Mm. And I don't have a sort of um, a sort of deep, you know, commanding voice <laughs> sort of thing. I, I can control a room, yeah. but it's I have to do it a different way. And I do think that sometimes uh, at those big gigs, maybe in the middle of nowhere and stuff like that, you do feel a bit like, as soon as a man comes on, they sort of shut up. Right. Mm. <laughs> that can happen. Not always. Um, but you do sort of feel like, is that is that is that me or is that because I'm not a, you know, as as much of a physical sort of presence on stage as a guy. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes sometimes I do feel like that. But you know, generally you've just got to deal with that. So yeah. play the game with the marbles you've got. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's interesting yeah. to me because I feel that generally speaking, audience comedy audiences are more open now the comedy scene is more diverse and oh, more yeah, aware and more forward yeah. but i've heard frankly quite frightening stories uh or, or seen for myself women on stage getting heckled in some quite shocking ways and it's just i mean has that been your experience is things getting better or is things getting worse i don't know I, i've never i've been quite lucky i've never really had anything mm. bad. oh i tell you yes in fact i'll give you one example and it was i think the worst heckle I've ever had because it made me angry, which is the sort of worst yeah. thing you can be on stage because when you're angry, you lose your wit. Right. You know, that's why in an argument, you're always looking back and thinking, fucking hell, I should have said that. Yeah. You know, because you're angry and the red mist goes up and you can't you can't be as, if you're calm yeah. and you're in control, then you can deal with anything. Yeah. Um, I really haven't had anything. I've never had like, I've had like one sort of sexist heckle once that was a gig years ago in Aldershot. I say a gig, it was like, a room at a pub. Me and Jamie Allison did it. It's gone down in our sort of <laughs> comedy career, really. Um, it was absolutely mental. One yeah. of the I'll always remember it. You always remember like the best and the worst gigs, don't you? But um, yeah. uh, no, it was actually it was uh, last January, January 2022, it, first gig of the year in Birmingham Glee. Mm-hmm. And with the Glees, sometimes I don't know because maybe people they've been at work that day and then they come out on the Friday, but. Yeah. The Saturdays are almost always feels way more relaxed. People seem way more up for it. I don't know what it is. It's always been my experience. Friday <laughs> Friday night crowds are good. They're just not as loose. They're just not as up for it. That kind of thing. Right. Um. And I went on on the Friday, and I was emceeing, and <laughs> they have this big, massive build up at the Glees. Like the 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 music goes on for genuinely four minutes, and it's really <laughs> kind of like it sounds like the start of a Marvel film. It's huge. <laughs> um. You know, like really, really building you up, sort of thing, mm. and uh, and yet then usually they go, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Glee on a Friday night. Please put your hands together for your host and MC, Miss Alexandra Haddo, whatever. And then you know the crowd start clapping and you come out, whatever. Yeah. But they had a temp guy in this day, so they had a four minute build up, and it was like <laughs> lights going everywhere, you know, like this. And then the the music ended, and he just went, please welcome Alexandra Haddo. Like so, it was a weird kind of crescendo, and then you know this plunge of energy where I just yeah. sort of then walked out, and people were sort of clapping. So I thought, <laughs> oh my god, I'm going to have to like really 
amp this up with my yeah uh with my sort of intro so i came on and i was like ladies and gentlemen it's friday night we're at the glee birmingham oh well yeah and it was like yeah the cheer was already like a bit lackluster so i was like i'm gonna have to work hard i said <laughs> we got three amazing comedians we got two breaks for you tonight we got and then somebody shouted something already that quick wow yeah um and i and i went what was that mate and he went slow down <laughs> and i was like you've fucking prick like and it got it got me so oh angry and I, should have, I should have just said you know is that what your wife says like hack whatever <laughs> um, and I just went I, but you know I was so pissed off because yeah. I was like you wouldn't have shouted at that guy and I, I was only doing it because this guy had sort of like said my name with all the energy of a slug um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and he, he just put me off for the whole first bit and and he and him and his mate, basically, and then I was I was emceeing, I was getting nothing. It was literally, you know, like couples that had met in an admin job for five years. They couldn't remember who asked who out. Like there was nothing, yeah. there was absolutely nothing. I was getting nothing. I was going into material, I was getting nothing. And I could hear, the thing was, I could hear them, like him and his group of mates, like middle-aged guys, yeah. just being like, oh, not this again. Like, as in, because I was asking somebody else a question, because I was trying to get a hook hmm. for the audience to like bring them all together. And then like, you know, there's usually a story all that sort of thing. Uh, and it just burst absolutely through me for the first, and I just was so pissed off. And those guys kind of ruined, like the first guy went up uh, and he, he kind of struggled and they were a bit of a weird crowd. And what it was is these guys were like putting everybody on edge right? Yeah. because they were kind of like slagging off whatever was happening, yeah. um, which obviously makes people tense around them. And then the second section I went on and it was a bit better, but they were still there. They weren't chatting this time. And usually the Glees are really good. Like they usually chuck people out if they're being yeah. like that um and then carl donnelly went on hmm. and just kind of addressed it and was like what do you what do what do you people want kind of thing and he sort of <laughs> turned it around and like halfway through his set these people left i think of their own accord hmm. and the whole gig changed like the whole gig like everybody relaxed everybody started having a good time the third section i came on did well fuck the headliner did well yeah it was just like this horrible patronizing comment at the start that just really annoyed me so much yeah. because yeah. I did think that was something that you wouldn't have shouted at like Mick Ferry or yeah. <laughs> you know, or Carl Donnelly even or like or um or Rich Wilson you know even if they'd have come out really fast yeah saying ladies and gentlemen blah blah, blah like you wouldn't have done it yeah no you're right um yeah. so yeah that that was probably the most what I felt was something that wouldn't have been shouted if I was the guy but no I've never had anything that bad really at all yeah. I've been quite lucky. Are you now managing to get together with with the uh, mixed bills where there are other women on the bill? Oh yeah, loads. I mean, I think London's a bit of a bubble in the fact that you're you're probably not experiencing the same issues as say like a club comic that lives between Manchester and Leeds and does a lot of you know club gigs up north in in more random places. I think right. that you know a woman up there would probably say, yeah, sometimes it is still difficult. Like I, I mean, I very rarely. I mean, I find myself being the only woman on bills but usually that's because there's only three or four people on the bill right do you know what i mean if there's if there's anything more than four i think it's usually me and another woman hmm. but yeah when i do glee a lot it's sort of like it's me and three guys <laughs> <laughs> um but you know that's it's still i think yeah even if there was five people i think there would usually be another woman yeah so. If you're at a mixed bill, if you're an act rather than an MC, yeah. if you're an MC, you, you kind of you got to be there all the time. If you're an act, yeah. do you turn up, do your spot, and go, or do you try and stick around and see the other comedians? Do you watch comedy? 
Yeah, well, I don't I don't always stick around if I'm at a mixed bill. It depends if I'm yeah. doubling or if I've got something to do. Or, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, this is a nice opportunity for me to have a night where I'm in before 10 or yeah. something, you know. <laughs> Something like that, but I do. I always stick around if there's someone I want to see yeah. on the bill, um, uh, and that that sounds awful. Like it's obviously I want to see everybody, but let's say it's someone that I gig with all the time. Sure, yeah, yeah. and they're on after me. Do you know what I mean? I'll be like, oh, I'm going to head off or yeah. whatever. But I go and watch shows quite a lot, especially now that I'm writing my show. I like to. I'm. I've gone to see a few more hours when I can. Yeah. Um, especially at sort of Soho Theatre and like my friends' previews, stuff like that. You know, see what see what other people are doing. Yeah. Um, and it get it's quite inspiring actually. I, I always get a few ideas when I watch somebody else's hour because mm. you're like, oh, I see what they've done there with that structure, or like they've done this, or um, oh, that's that you know that's they've told us that about themselves. That's why the end bit, you know, you feel this about them or whatever. Yeah. But I, yeah, I do. I still I still watch a lot of comedy. I would say I've got absolutely zero idea about the American scene. All my mates <laughs> like all my mates are, are lads and they all know every all these american comics that i'm like i have never fucking heard of these people in my life <laughs> and yeah i'm really bad at watching american comedy but i'm very i i do watch a lot of like british and irish yeah comedy yeah do you exclusively see it through the eyes of a comedian or are you able to detach and just enjoy it at face value i can detach yeah thank yeah. god because i feel like some people really can't yeah. um <laughs> i but i think it's like the the, the comedian brain comes in do you know what? The comedian brain comes in when you see it being done badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, even on, even sometimes with a professional show, uh, you know, a massive name or something, if everybody has one where you think, oh, that's not, that wasn't great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, or they, you know, or they've rushed that out or whatever it was. Um, but I think when it's, when it's being done really well, no, not at all. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm afterwards, I'll sort of be like, oh yeah, that was great. Um, in a comedy brain way. But when I'm watching it, no, not really. Yeah. I like what you said there about yeah, when it goes wrong. I remember Cambridge Comedy Festival in 21. Yeah. I was sat on the side of the hill. It was in the field at that time. These things were still outdoors. Yeah. And um, there was a big name television comic on the main stage. Yeah. And I was sat, sat on the hill with some some other comedians and we were watching. And uh, they, they came out and they opened with a joke that I obviously had in their mind later in the set. And when it came to it, they did the same joke again. Really? Within like three, four minutes. So we were all absolutely doubled over laughing yeah. because it was so funny. That is my, that's my like biggest fear yeah. that I do that one. Um, <laughs> but when you do like at, at the Bill Murray on a Saturday, you know, they've got four shows. And sometimes yeah. you're doing three, sometimes you're emceeing two and doing a spot on one. And sometimes by the last show, you're like, I don't know what I've said in this show and what I've said in the other yeah. ones. <laughs> I know some comics who will do different hour and they'll do three shows and they'll do three different shows on the same day. And then, and I was like, how do you yeah. remember which bit is yeah, yeah, you exactly. not slide into the other show accidentally? Uh, yeah. I try and do that. I usually have some overlap, but I just usually try and as a little test for myself, like not do exactly the same, Yeah, but it will usually be because of that. Mm. It will usually be like 70% the same. And then, you know, change a few jokes or try that extra bit or that different bit or that new bit or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I'm worried if I did like a totally different set that I would automatically go into a bit and then I'd be like, oh shit, I've done that. Do you know what I mean? It'd be... But yeah. Yeah, um, I love that because there's one thing that I notice when talking to comedians or, or being at gigs where everyone seems to be analytical and I do it myself. I see a lot of comedy. So every now and then I go, yeah, I know where that's going. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say you must do as well. Yeah. 
but one of the things I really love is is when I see comedians enjoying other comedy and just how I remember one time at the Banshee Labyrinth uh, a Lloyd Langford gig this must be years ago now um, and Stuart Lee sneaked in the back of the room and I was saw oh, him nice. laughing at the set and I thought well that's brilliant because he's seen he's seen and written and done so much comedy to, to still be yeah. able to laugh uh, and I remember one night at Fulham Fulham Comedy Club you and your friends doubled yeah. over in a row watching the show I can't remember who was on I bought oh, it written who down. Was on? Yeah. I think Katie Green was on the bill. You were there. I'm sure Hubert would have been there. Yeah, it probably would have been. Yeah, it probably would have been Jamie MCing. I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, but you were you were all doubled over. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's great to be able to. So you are still able to do to do that to go out and as be entertained as a oh, uh, yeah, even definitely. though you are trying to shut down the analytical part of your brain. Yeah, I do, and I think I would try and. I think you've got to work on that if you start being analytical because yeah. the whole point, the whole reason you started doing comedy is probably because you loved comedy. So don't lose that. Yes. So tell me about your lockdown experience. And so having done a few years as a comedian and then suddenly comedy is close for business. Oh, God, I know. How did you fare? I panicked. Well, everybody feels like they, you know, they they lost it because of their... They, you know, they were on the cusp of greatness yeah. or whatever. I feel like everybody felt like that. <laughs> and I, I had a gig um, supporting Frankie Boyle mm-hmm. at the Soho Theatre for his, like, warm-up tour, basically. Yeah. And it was on the, I'm pretty sure it was, like, the 10th of March or something. Something like that. Or the 14th, uh, maybe the 14th of March. I don't know. Anyway, it was around there. <laughs> um, And I was just like, oh, my God, here we go. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. This is me taking off, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, that I think that was like my penultimate gig. Mm. And my, yeah, and my other, and the other one was my first ever spot of the Bill Murray. Um, yeah. And I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody feels like that because everybody feels like they were at their best point, yeah. you know, because um, we kept, you know, you keep working, you keep getting better gigs. So it's going to be like that whenever you do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was... The weird thing was, Ali Wood said this to me, and I, I and I know what it, what he means. I wasn't I wasn't as um, frustrated as I thought I was going to be, and I thought this is weird because I've gigged every night, mm-hmm. you know, I've been working really hard about it and stuff like that. And Ali said it's because nobody else is gigging either. Yeah. And I said, yeah, you're totally right because if you were sort of, you know, if you broke your leg or something and you couldn't gig for two months, yeah. I think I'd be going out of my mind because I'd be like all this opportunity that I can't take, all this stuff that I can't do, um, you know, everything hmm. like that, you'd feel so frustrated. But the fact that there wasn't any gigs yes. and there was, and nobody was getting gigs that you could have done or would have done, it, it almost like I wasn't, I'm not going to say I wasn't bothered because that's too flippant, but hmm. it because everybody was in the same boat and it was such a seismic event, yeah. um, I just sort of, coped with it really but then I did a lot I did actually do a lot of zoom gigs yes yeah um and one of those particularly for Dulwich Hamlet which is the monthly night that I sort of co-run um with Matt Arnold who is the real the real showrunner I just sort of get as people that I've gigged with that he likes (laughs) um Um, but we you know because he's a tv producer Mm. and a lot of the people at Dulwich Hamlet have kind you know one of them's a graphic designer one of them's one of his friends was you know does the title graphics for x factor and stuff like that um, they really, they really, really like put on a show, yeah. um, and it was brilliant. And um, some, I mean, some Zoom gigs that you did were absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but but those ones were, were great. I mean, a few of them were really good, to be honest. It depended what you know what was kind of what the audience was like. 
uh, if they were sort of regulars, if people were really into it, if they'd worked out how, you know, to have like a front row, so to speak. Yeah. So people that were unmuted. And then, and we did all that first time. And I really remember thinking like, oh, I don't know if we should do this, you know. Hmm. Um, it's just, it's insane. Like we haven't, it's not, it's going to be shit and all this sort of stuff. And, it, it, but it was a massive financial boost for the comedians hmm. because all the ticket money went to them, like all the, um, and like some of the bigger acts even were like, oh, just, you know, take my fee. Yeah. Uh, it was like a really sort of a really, really good energy. We had like a title credits. So it was all, almost like watching a TV show instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was really good. I, I mean, I in general, I was like, I, I didn't, you know, I couldn't wait to get back to live comedy. Yes, but, of course. Yeah. Um, but some of them you could, you know, you could kind of get through it because it was it wasn't as bad as you thought. If people had put a bit of thought into it, that was the thing. Yeah. Yeah, as you saw, I saw some of those Dulwich Hamlet shows, and they're great. And for me, it was great because I would never go to those shows because it's too far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exactly, yeah. there's one thing that it did do is it opened up, and like you mentioned about American comedians, so I was able to watch American comedians. You know, they're not going to fly to New York yeah, to see a show and then fly home. Yeah, it did open up Australia, New Zealand. That's a nice one. Definitely, yeah. No, there was there was definitely um, you know, there was definitely some nice things to come out of it. Yeah. I think. Um, it's just that it doesn't just doesn't compare to of course like, no energy in the room yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah did you find that you were getting an international audience for zoom gigs that you were on were you were you being seen from further afield probably yeah not not massively that i knew of but i think there were i mean in dulwich dulwich we were getting like 400 people a gig mm, yeah. um and you know we can only fit 120 in the actual clubhouse in real life so yeah i think there was people from you know like pe- people that had friends and family abroad that always were were using it also as like a social occasion, you know, like to go and um, watch the gig together and then like have a Zoom after and have like a bit of a social yeah. time, you know. It was just, it was mad, mm. wasn't it? Like, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, just like to say like, oh, I've got a Zoom at eight o'clock tonight, you know, like a social Zoom. What the hell? Yeah. Mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of live shows then, so... You took a 45-minute show to Edinburgh Fringe last year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Coward's Hour. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> How was your festival experience? How is being at a festival and being competing with 3,000 other people for attention? It was, do you know what? It was surprisingly nice. I did a 12-night run, and mm. um, I got I got pretty nice audiences. I'm very bad at flyering for myself. I can flyer for split bill. <laughs> stuff because it's not just me I can fly for other people but I'm too British in the sense that it's like it's just me and ugh, I think I'm funny you know like <laughs> um and the show wasn't the show wasn't uh like the best like I I mean I didn't I, it was more of a learning curve for me I would say than like taking an right. amazing 45 minute and I haven't really a lot of people do that and then their hour show is sort of very similar Right. Um, but mine's not really. Mm. Um because I don't know how people say the same like even after twelve nights, I was like, God, I'm sick of saying this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna have to do double that this year in Edinburgh. So uh that'll be fine. But you know, with an hour it's more of your um yeah. your sort of baby in a way. And you can and you know, you can change it as well. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, I I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't I did loads and loads of gigs mm-hmm. as well as that. I, did, I was doing sort of like three gigs a day. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's great and I thrive off the off the busyness, but I think I'm really going to have to discipline myself this year. I'm going to try and do the first 10 days 
like sort of fairly sober and um I'm staying with a friend of a friend who isn't a comedian who lives in Edinburgh so I'm gonna sort of have that as like my sanctuary just so I don't go mad <laughs> um, and hopefully I can get some work while I'm up there as well like remotely like some mm. my old job magazine work just to yeah. I think just to keep my feet on the ground a little bit and then and then the last two weeks you know fine just go mad <laughs> basically yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about your new show then, your hour. You're debuting at Edinburgh with your debut hour. Yes. What's the show about? What can we expect? It's uh, it's called Not My Finest Hour um, because <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try and not give too much away in a way, but, sure. but it's about something. It's about doing things wrong, essentially. It's about the, the culture of never admitting you're wrong you know, publicly and on social media. And mm. then it's also about something that I did that I'm not proud of, that I'm uh, you know quite ashamed <laughs> I'm ashamed of it, but I don't wish it didn't happen. I think that's the weird just juxtaposition that people face. Mm. Um, because I think you do learn from everything and you are gonna you are gonna fuck up, you are gonna do things wrong. Um and so whenever I was doing this thing, yeah, I used to say to my mates at the time, you know, oh you know, genuinely I used to be like, Oh, I know I know it's not my finest hour, but blah 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 and that you know, try and justify it. And then mm. I loved the title and I thought it'd be quite a good concept um yeah. for a show. Mm. Uh and so it's sort of about as I'm the more I'm sort of doing it, I mean, I changed the structure loads on Thursday. Uh, it's more about, yeah, your sort of your public yeah. persona and the fact that, I mean, even it's, it sort of touches briefly upon, you know, politicians never ever just saying, yeah, sorry, that, you know, fucked up there. Or yeah. famous people being like, yeah, I made a mistake. That was, that was really bad because it's always like, I did this, but actually it was because of this, this and this. It's like, yeah, there's always reasons why you do something wrong. And and that is sort of what I'm doing in the show as well. I'm like, here's something that you're going to judge me for. And here's who I am, essentially. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of being a bit cryptic there, but it's <laughs> it's hopefully funny because I don't want to give away the sort of main topic yeah. of the show. Um, but yeah, and it's about sort of, it's about sort of kind of going through something, but it's not a serious show. I don't really have that like 40 minute mark right. where i don't really i mean I absolutely think that can be great and i've loved shows like that but i don't want to just force a point like that for nothing there mm -hmm. is a kind of a couple of moments in the show where um you know where it is sort of there's a couple of serious lines right. i think that will maybe make people go away and think but it's not a show that's like and here's my poignant moment you know like it's not that right but, yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah that's the kind of show that I want to create. But it's, I mean, I did it because I wanted to challenge myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I'll ever take a show up again for the full month just because it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but I did really want to, I think it's good to sort of have a goal to work towards and to write an hour show. And I am finding it hard, you know, it's a, and it's not the sort of, I could write an hour show with a story and a structure mm -hmm. and tell you a story that's quite, but to make it like really funny. Mm when you're talking about quite a serious thing that happened to you is uh, is a challenge, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know it's a good show because it already got nominated as Work in Progress at Leicester for Best Debut. Oh, that was such a nice show. I loved that show. It was great. <laughs> I think that's the best, the best preview I've had so far. How do you feel about award nominations and competitions in general? That's the only award I've ever got nominated for, so that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> So I like less to the best. No, um, no competitions. I never really did because mm. I, because I'm a storytelling comedian, 
and often in competitions, not not competitions like that where it's your show. I'm talking yeah. about competitions when you're sort of coming up, you know, like new comedian of the year or whatever. Yeah. Um, often in the first few rounds, you get five minutes and they're quite strict on it as they should be because, you know, you don't want somebody taking up way more time. Mm. But I, got, I always used to get so in my head about the timing because, you know, mine aren't sort of little bits. Right. Um, it's almost like if I start one, I sort of have to finish it. And I never did very well, ever. I got through like a couple of rounds of like Leicester Square a couple of times and Funny Women I did years ago mm-hmm. um, and got through that. But like, yeah, I never, I ne- and then I just realized quite quickly that I didn't do very well in them. I wasn't very, I wasn't very relaxed in them. I wasn't very, really myself in them. And I think they're, they can be brilliant. Like really, if you suit them and you thrive in, in those scenarios, they you can get seen by people really quickly. Yeah. Um, but I it just, yeah, I just was never very good at them. <laughs> so <laughs> I, sort of quite quick, I sort of quite quickly was like, nah, I'm all right. Uh, yeah. Because I was because I was getting gigs and enjoying myself and stuff. So I was like, and I always used to forget to enter them as well, which tells you that <laughs> tells you that you're not really into it, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, so now nice that I was I did uh, first sort of show competition that i mm. got a, a nomination was was great and it was a really nice show i really enjoyed doing that one yeah um yeah aside aside from that i've, I've not been a competition comedian at all <laughs> <laughs> what about like um contests on the night like gong shows and things like that Do you... i've done gong shows yeah i've done them um, i did beat the frog a couple of times i've done yeah. the blackout a couple of times um and i've always got through and i won beat the frog once yeah. i think i've done four yeah i think i've done beat the frog twice and up the creek twice and i basically my my thing to myself was like as long as you don't get gonged off you've sort yeah. of what do you know what i mean yeah. like <laughs> and, I did, I ne- and i've never got gonged off and i and i actually won beat the frog one yeah. uh once so that's fine that's fine for me i feel like i've ticked them off i've never done it <laughs> because right. uh I, I would do it like now i don't know if i would do it because uh i think it would kick you when you're trying to do an hour show you'd feel a bit even though it's a completely different thing. Right, but I used yeah. to always run Vauxhall on a Monday, so I mm. never, ever could do it. And it was, that was quite a nice excuse. And now I'm like, <laughs> I need to put myself through it, you know? Um, <laughs> but I, do, I, I don't think gong shows are great. I think they're fun. I don't think, like, a lot of people I meet when I did the gong shows were doing, like, their first or second or third gig at, at yeah. the gong show. And I understand that in Manchester, it's like, it's almost kind of your easiest way of getting a big crowd quite early on. So mm. I do understand why people do it. However, I do think like that could really knock your confidence just because of where you are in the lineup or what the crowd's like that night. Or if someone, you know, doesn't like the fact that you did a joke about X, Y, Z, you know, it can be, yeah. I think if you've not got thick skin and you don't really understand how random a gong show can be, mm. then to do it in your first 20 gigs, I would say is, is very brave. Like, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I hope it doesn't kind of put some people off. So, mm. yeah. So tell me then, assuming you haven't already given it, what have been your best and worst moments so far? Oh, um, my be- one of my best moments um, ever was hosting the Ealing Comedy Festival last year. And yeah. it was, um, I was the MC, and it was Justin Morehouse, Neil Delamere and Dylan Moran. Yeah. You know, like my comedy hero. Um, <laughs> and... I just couldn't, and it was great. And I also thought like I was emceeing, and it was in a big tent and stuff like that. And I thought this is going to be tough as an MC. but it was great. And like, and mm. I came out and I said, "Hi, I'm Alexandra Haddo. Um, I'm the only one on the bill 
tonight that none of you have a clue who I am, right? And that was my <laughs> line. Yeah. And then I said, uh, and then I started chatting to somebody in the audience on the front row. And I said, uh, you know, who who have you come here to see tonight? And they said, you, I follow you on Twitter. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so straight away after I'd sort of put myself down, that, that happened. And then the crowd was sort of, they were just like absolutely great. And then, you know, yeah. to, to bring Dylan on and have a gig with him. I mean, I only got it because I was doing, it was the guy that runs headliners in West London, yeah. Simon, who's lovely. Um, and uh, yeah, and he was talking about this, He's talking about having booking Dylan Moran, and he was like, "Oh, we've got Dylan." I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, I'll have to. I'm going to come down. I'm going to come and watch it." And he said, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I, I, I filled the bill now." And I said, "No, I wasn't. I genuinely wasn't hinting for yeah a, a slot or whatever." I said, "I just want to. I'll come and watch it." And then he called me up like a few days later, and he said, "He said, do you want to MC it?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> so that was oh, that was a great night. I was so yeah. buzzing after that. Um, it felt like being a you know a rock star like a festival um yeah. i think that was my um that was one I, that certainly like springs to mind i mean hosting yeah. reading festival was mm-hmm. amazing but the atmosphere that was tough you know it's a massive tent people aren't really listening or there's hardly anyone in there yeah. it's it that's a really tough gig. it's a sort of prestigious gig but it's tough whereas this was like a massive amazing gig but actually the crowd were really going for it and yeah, yeah it's great yeah. um Worst moments. I mean, I I think possibly one of my previews recently was on a <laughs> Sunday night. Was on a Sunday night at Two North Down, and like six people were there. And I think it's a t- it's a quite tough room. I think hmm. Two North Down, especially if there's not many people in it. Uh, and I just it was like my second time. I tell you when it was. It was the day after the Leicester preview. And they could not have been more different. That's the weird thing about comedy. You know, I yeah. was flying high from doing uh, the Leicester show uh, and I'd, I'd loved it. It was great. It was so easy. The crowd were great. Um, and and I was really relaxed. And then the next night, I just sort of, I guess, went into it with maybe like a bit of arrogance because I was like, oh, this is, you know, it's going really well. <laughs> and then comedy has its own way of taking you down and being like, actually, you're at square one. Um <laughs> And I wouldn't, I mean, that's not definitely not the worst moment of my, you know, comedy career. There's been obviously awful gigs when you start out and stuff like that. But mm. um, that was one where I was like, oh, kind of good in a way because you go home, you're like, I've really got to work on this, you know? Right. Yeah. But it's like at any moment you can be brought down to earth, I think, is the, yeah. the thing with comedy. <laughs> <laughs> How different uh, do you think that your your Edinburgh show will be from that work in progress at Leicester and indeed how different will it be from the beginning of your Edinburgh run to the end do you constantly make big changes at the moment I'm changing it a lot not not necessarily the I mean the the sort of general theme and arc and Mm. message of the show is still the same yeah but I've completely changed the structure around um and yeah it's almost like at an editing stage in a, in a way yeah because if i want to tell you everything it's like everything i've ever done in my life i've always overwritten you know word counts over whenever i'm writing for somewhere because <laughs> you're like oh you need to know this this and this and it's whenever you start a joke actually whenever you do a joke for the first time i'm always like here's all the context and here's the joke <laughs> and then by the time you you know by the time it's brilliant and it's in your club set it's like a two-line joke yeah you know, because you realize that people don't need all that but it's almost like you can't see the wood for the trees when you first write a joke mm. Because you think that people need to know everything you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, 
<laughs> so it's almost like trimming the fat is essentially what it's what it's going to be. Yeah. And yeah, so it won't be it'll be recognizable as the same show definitely, but it's the nuances will be different and the order will be different and the structure will be different. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the uh, most important lessons that you've learned so far? What philosophies do you take forward with you? Oh, um never act like you're too good for a gig. That is my pet hate. Um, even if you're a massive, you know, the comedians that I admire the most are, you know, big names that I've sometimes booked for gigs that I've put put on, yeah. you know, because I've gigged them at a big gig or something. And then it's, you know, it's something you're you're trying out. It's a new gig or whatever. And maybe there's not a lot of people there. Maybe the room isn't quite right yet. Mm. Um, stuff like that. And the, the comedians that I think will always do best are the, are the ones that are understanding of, I mean, because, you, know, you know, you're paying them anyway, right? So yeah. like, <laughs> if it's something like that they're getting a set fee anyway mm. um and the comedians that, that do best are always the ones i think that just like they take that in their stride and they either turn it around or they if it's you know unplayable or whatever not that sounds like i've run <laughs> loads of unplayable gigs i don't but um <laughs> you know there's been times where people have approached like you know me and jamie to run a gig and we're like okay uh you know if you got this sorted you got yeah, yeah 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 and then you know it doesn't it doesn't, you know, they haven't really thought it through or they haven't sorted the sound out properly or, like, there's not as many people there because they haven't promoted it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, people like Tom Ward, you know, I've booked for stuff like that and he just turns up and he, like, he'll just smash it. He'll just he'll just do the gig. Yeah. And, you know, David Ward, uh, not David Ward, um, David Mills. Oh, yeah. Uh, another one who's yeah. my one of my absolute favourites. And, we, you know, we booked him for this private members club. And, again, it wasn't our – we couldn't promote it because mm. – it was only for private members and it was the last one we ever did there and it was just it was just you know they hadn't they hadn't told anyone about it and stuff like that we were like David I'm so sorry and the staff were really rude and he just went up there and he just destroyed the place the staff (laughs) the room he was just absolutely incredible and he just always is like hey look you gave me a gig it's fine like he's just amazing I just I think he deserves everything but I think that is definitely a a lesson you know there's people that then would turn up and sort of be like oh yeah and constantly mention how bad the gig is or whatever and he's just saying yeah i know i know that as well yeah and so i've never done that to other people either when they've you know you can in your head be like oh god this is awful but you don't really blame the person because usually they've been asked to do a gig for this venue or this company or whatever yeah so i think definitely that my 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 very niche pet hate is um (laughs) and the lesson that i always think is especially because i see a lot people who when you're bringing them onto the stage even when you've started saying their name they're still stood at the back it's like come on (laughs) a momentum like like, you know you'll say like please welcome you know john smith or whatever and then then they'll they'll be and then people start clapping and then they start walking on you're like but now they're clapping for a long time yeah and you've got to get on the stage i've got to get off like be ready like yeah that is my that's that's my niche lesson (laughs) I've seen too all too many times that the the applause sort of runs out and then there's a quiet walk to the yeah. from the edge of the stage to the microphone. Why are you doing that? You've been waiting at the back yeah. the whole gig. And the MC's sort of there like, yeah. come on, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't get it. Um Yeah, just I don't know, work hard and be nice to people. It's cliche, but it's yeah. true, you know. Yeah. But yeah, um and then and also, you know, just never like I say, you can have your, the best gig in the world one night, do the same show the next night, and it's going to be the worst thing yeah. you've ever done. So just <laughs> <laughs> always prepare to be humbled. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what about objectives? Do you set yourself targets? Do you have objectives for what you want to achieve with your show at Edinburgh? Or do you have like a five-year plan, what you want to do, what you want to achieve? No, I don't really. I just I just want to do everything. I want to try everything. I want to write stuff. I've, I'm, I've got an idea for for a book and mm-hmm. for a sitcom uh, that I'm, I don't know if it, even it is a sitcom really, but yeah, sort of. <laughs> um, that sort of stuff. I just need like, you know, a 26 hour day would be great and no need to sleep. Um, no, I just, uh, really, my only objective at the moment is to do, on like, honestly, the best Edinburgh show that I can and something to be proud of, essentially, is is what. Yeah. And to, and to gig with Dylan Moran again. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, just honestly, to do that, I'd love to do the news quiz as well. That's, but mm. I don't, but these aren't, I haven't like written these down, but these are sort of what I'd love to, yeah. to do. Yeah. And to write for tv shows and stuff i, d- I did uh some jokes for ivo graham for have i got my news for you and it was so much fun it's great <laughs> are you sitting there waiting for your joke you go, that's mine that's one of mine genuinely that's what i did yeah, yeah. and one of <laughs> one of them made the cut so <laughs> there we go <laughs> how can we find out about you how can we find out where you're gigging where you're next going to be playing oh yeah if you go i've got a link tree and it's all on all my socials so if you follow me at Alexandra Haddo on Instagram or at Miss A Haddo on Twitter, purely because Alexandra Haddo was taken on Twitter by someone that doesn't even use it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Miss A Haddo on Twitter, yeah. yeah, and yeah, and you can find there's link trees on there with like my gigs coming up and stuff. So mm-hmm. please come to a show. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, can you sum up for me what is to you comedy in a nutshell? Comedy in a nutshell is. Um, the best job in the world because you're getting paid to make people laugh that is honestly i will never ever complain about it to a serious degree because <laughs> it, is, it is the best it is like giving people the best feeling in the world like some light relief and yeah it's, it's like winning a race honestly it's, it's the best feeling ever so that was that was comedy to me in a nutshell alex thanks so much it's been fantastic oh thank you for having me mark cheers thanks a lot 